I love spring. Spring. What do you love about spring? How many of you are excited for warm weather? Weather, weather picking up. We've got Easter coming up, which is super exciting. March Madness is happening. Baseball is actually happening. I am so excited for spring. One of the other things I love about spring, though, is I love preparing for my garden. Any of you guys do a garden? See, I, I always, I say I love the idea of a garden. Actually, what I love is I love the reward of a garden. I love that when you have the garden, then you get these, these vegetables and you make pico de gallo. And that's like my favorite thing to do. But if I'm being honest, I love the reward of the garden. I don't really like the work that goes into making a garden, right? Because to, to do a garden, you got to get the soil all ready. And at our house, we have really rocky soil. So we got to rake all the ro rocks out. Then we got to add some mulch and some good soil to it and mix it all together. Uh, then you take your little tomato plant and you plant it. And you're like, oh, it's so cute. Until you got to weed the crud out of the thing. And uh, then you got to prune it. And you got to give it just the right amount of water. And then if you do that for three months, if you keep watering after three months, you finally get a tomato. It takes a long time. Gardening. It's not instantaneous. There's work that goes into it. The success from gardening comes from sowing, that idea of what you put into it. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, uh, the apostle Paul writes and says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, they will also reap. And then in verse 9, he says, let us not grow tired of doing good. We'll reap in the proper time if we do not give up. Listen, isn't life a little bit like that gardening idea? Isn't life a little bit like that where there is this sowing and this reaping? And sometimes what happens, and I, maybe this is just me and not you, but sometimes I look at other people's life and I'm like, man, look how successful they are. Look how spiritual they are. Man, they're so lucky. Like what makes them so special that God blesses them like that? Like I want some of that. Maybe, maybe they're just in the right place or the right time. Right, you think about the guy who bought Bitcoin in 2012, like the right place at the right time, right? But is that really the secret to success? Getting lucky, being special? In fact, there's a story about a couple by the name of Percy and Florence Aerosmith. I love their last name. Uh, th this couple, in 2005, they had the Guinness World Record for the longest marriage of 80 years. They've since been surpassed by that. But they were married for 80 years, and this interviewer was saying, hey, you've been married for all this time. What is the secret? What is the secret to a long-lasting marriage? Anybody want to hear the secret to that? That sounds pretty good for some of us in here, right? And here's, here's what Florence said. This is a sweet old gal. She said, the secret is don't go to sleep angry. You've got to keep talking. you got to keep saying you're sorry. you got to keep going. I love it. And, and Percy, his response was a little, you know, more simple. He said, the secret to a, a, a long marriage is two words. Yes, dear. <clears throat> I love it because the success, if, if you ask them, success was their faithfulness. It was, we're going to keep going. Like, how many of you have seen that in your life? The success came because you kept going. I'll tell you, for me, I've seen this in my health. Like, I don't know, I don't know why nobody told me about this, but there comes a certain age in your life where you start going downhill, right? Like, you're, you're going, going, and then, like, you get, like, I don't know, whatever the age is, and you're like, I'm going downhill. And I woke up one day because nobody told me about this, and I'm like, 
I'm tired. I'm lethargic. Like my weight, like my metabolism has gone crazy. Like what's going on with me? And I decided I need to do something about that. So my first idea, my first idea was to address my health. I was going to start eating healthy. You guys tried this, eating healthy? So I, I did. I was like, maybe there's like a magic vitamin that just makes it easy for me. Or maybe, maybe I was like, maybe there's a superfood, right? And so I was like, I did this. I got my avocado, and I put it on my, my, my toast, my gluten-free toast, by the way. I put it on my gluten-free toast. And I put some, uh, you know, coconut oil and some kale on top of it. And I somehow got it down. And I got to the done with that, and I realized there's a problem. Is I love Oreos too much, right? And I was like, all right, all right, this food thing, maybe I should try something different. I thought, I'll start exercising. Now, I, I've got these boys. I've got four boys and a girl, and my boys have all run cross-country. And I'm like, my sons are runners. I should be a runner. So I get out there, and I start running. And I get like 50 yards in, and I'm like, man, I'm setting a world record. I'm awesome. Look how good I'm doing. And that 50 yards turns to 100 yards. And I get, I don't know how far I was in, and I'm like, my, my, my heart is pounding. My head is exploding. My legs are on fire. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? And literally, I'm running down some of you avenue, and I'm like, man, I wonder, I wonder if I could just keel over and die in the middle of the road. Like, could I, could I actually do that? No doubt, I got a mile and a half in, and I died. And I'm like, I'm done. And I, my kids, they all run like, 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 you know, 8, 10, 12 miles. And I'm like, I got a mile and a half, and I'm dead. I was too embarrassed to call my wife and say, come pick me up. So I, I had to do the walk of shame, you know, where you ran a mile and a half out, and you have to walk back because you can't run anymore. It was terrible. I then, I, I, kid you not, I got back to the house, and I'm like, I'm going to jump on the scale. And guess what? I hadn't lost any weight. There was no new muscle. And I'm like, what the, what, what the heck? But here's the thing. When we're talking about our health, the secret to exercise is for it to be effective, it's got to be consistent. There's got to be a dedication. And so I'll tell you what. I started running, and I ran again and again and again. I would run three or four times a week. Slowly, I was able to build up that distance. And, in fact, this past February, I've got this picture up here. Uh, Zach Eiler and I got to run a half marathon together. 13.1 miles. Woohoo! That was fun. Exciting. I find myself, as I've accomplished that, I find myself stronger. I feel like my weight is a little bit more under control. I can eat my Oreos and not feel guilty about it. And why is that? It's not because there was an immediate success that I was able to run a half marathon. It's not because there was a magic pill, there was an overnight something that, that made it easier. It was because of my dedication, of my faithfulness. This morning we're starting a new series as we get ready for Easter. Uh, a series that we're calling Easter People. And what we're going to do is we're going to look in Scripture at, at people who met Jesus after he was resurrected. And I tell you what, I am so excited for this series. I'm excited really because... Uh, we, we get to build some anticipation for Easter, right? Easter, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, that is what Christianity is all about. Like, do you understand that? Like, this is the linchpin of our faith. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, we have no reason to gather together here today. Without the resurrection, we put our trust in God completely in vain. 
But this is why we celebrate the resurrection, right? This is why we celebrate it. Because this is how Jesus has given us life. This is how God gives us victory over Satan and sin and death as hell. It's through the power of the resurrection. It's the resurrection that gives us hope for today and hope for tomorrow. The resurrection is huge. And let me just say this. Like, do you know, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much he loves you? Like, he chose to die for you. He chose to come and live the life that you and I could not live. He chose to go to the cross to forgive you of your sin. And not just to give you life, but to give you abundant life. And the greatest thing about it is Jesus chose to do that freely for you. He doesn't look at you and say, hey, you've got to clean up your life. You've got you've to get everything all together. You've got to do all these good things. No, he chose freely to do this for you. And all he asks is that we receive him and we believe in his name. And that is Easter. That is the message of the church. That is why we exist. And so today, in this series of Easter people, we get to look at the story of Mary Magdalene. And she's important because she was the first person to get it. She was the first person that got to see the resurrected Jesus. That is pretty remarkable. Can you imagine, though, if you're marrying the first person to see Jesus? Like, how impactful would that be for your life? How huge would that be for your faith? That you were the first person to see Jesus who's walked out of the grave. And again, sometimes we look at people like this. We look at Mary. We look at, like, her spiritual success. We look at her experiences, and we're like, man, I wish God would give me something like that, right? I wish, I wish I could have that experience. There must be something special about Mary that makes her different than me because that's why God gave her this thing. But here's the, here's the thing. When we look at Mary's story, first person to see the resurrected Jesus, it wasn't random that God, that Jesus chose to reveal himself to her. It was a result of Mary faithfully showing up to serve Jesus. And that's going to be the story that we look at today. And so before we look at Mary's encounter with Jesus, I want to look at a little bit of a background about Mary. Uh, uh, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene is not her last name. It's simply a nickname that tells you where she's from. So, for example, Jesus, from, Jesus of Nazareth tells you Jesus is from Nazareth. Jenny on the block tells you she's from the block. And Mary Magdalene tells you that Mary is from the town of Magdala, which was a prosperous uh, fishing town on the Sea of Galilee. And in fact, we first are introduced to Mary Magdalene in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. So Luke chapter 8 verse 1 says this, that Jesus was going through the cities and the villages and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God because that's why he came. And then it says the 12 disciples were with him. And in verse 2, there was also some women who'd been healed from evil spirits and infirmities, including Mary called Magdalene who had seven demons that had gone out from her. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's house manager, and Susanna, and several others. You see, here's, here's Mary. She's a woman who was possessed by seven demons. She was totally, she was uh, an unholy holiday inn. Like, that is who she was, right? Totally under darkness, under the control of Satan, until one day, we're not told how, we're not told when. One day, Jesus showed up. Jesus found her. He touched her, and he healed her. And her life was totally changed. In fact, it said in the end of verse 3, Luke 8, verse 3, it says that uh, 
these women provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we look at Scripture, we look at all that Jesus does, and we're like, oh, look at all that Jesus did. And we forget that Jesus wasn't a Lone Ranger. Jesus had his 12 disciples that were with him, serving him and, and supporting him. And here Luke says there was a group of women that Mary was involved in. Mary was probably the leader of some sorts. And this group of women, they provided for Jesus. They provided for his disciples so they could go about doing the work of the ministry. And here you've got a, a group of ladies whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. And essentially they say, okay, Jesus, because you've changed my life, you go and do your preaching thing, and we'll stay back and serve. You go, you go and do what you're called to do, and we'll take care of all the other details. We'll make sure all the travel arrangements are taken care of. We'll, we'll worry about the finances. We'll take care of these other things. We'll do what's needed to do, Jesus, so you can go and do what you are called to do. In fact, I think about this. I think about the story about the ten lepers. Remember the story where Jesus healed the ten lepers? And out of those ten lepers, only one leper came back to tell Jesus, thank you. I think that leper would have been like Mary. Her life has been dramatically changed. She's been set free from the control of the evil one. And what is she doing in return for that? She's showing up. She's saying, Jesus, I'm going to give, I'm going to support, I'm going to love, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do what I can to serve you because you've changed my life. In fact, we're going to see that this is Mary's story again and again and again. Her life has been changed, and so she's constantly going to show up to love and to serve Jesus. So John 20, that's our text for today. John 20, this is after Jesus has died. And actually, before we get to John 20, I, I want to just pause and say, if you were to look at John 19, John 19 is when Jesus goes to the cross. And do you know, do you know who's at the cross? Well, there was a couple different people, but Mary Magdalene was at the cross. Why? Because this is Mary's story. She shows up to love and to serve. Jesus, what can I do? How can I help? You're on the, what, what can I do? She's there to serve Jesus. And so John chapter 20, Jesus has died. He's been placed in the tomb. And remember, they rolled the, the, they rolled the big uh, uh, rock in front of the tomb to prevent anybody from going in. And that's where our story picks up. Verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to, the early, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away. And I want to just pause right there because... Uh, John says it was just Mary that showed up. But the Gospel of uh, Mark says that there were some other women that were with, him, with Mary. And they showed up with spices. They showed up because they were going to serve. They knew that Jesus was going to be uh, laid to rest permanently here soon. And they wanted to uh, anoint his body and, and put some more spices and some uh, uh, whatever other things you're supposed to do to anoint the body for final burial. Okay? Do you see what Mary's doing? What did she show up to do? She showed up to serve. I mean, Jesus has died, but she's still showing up to say, how can I help? What can I do? So the story says that she saw that the stone was rolled away. Verse 2, she ran and went and told Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, whose name is John, they've taken the Lord away from our tomb, and we don't know where we've laid, they don't know where we've laid him. So Peter and John, that's the story that Jake read for us earlier. They run to the tomb, and sure enough, they go inside the tomb, and sure enough, there's the place where Jesus' body was laid. And it's not there. Just these clothes that have been folded where Jesus was laid. And they're like, man, what the heck is going on? This was a what the heck moment for them. Because the disciples, and probably Mary included, Jesus had told them several times, hey, I'm going to die, 
and rise from the grave. Like Jesus said this multiple times in his ministry, but they never got it. They never could put it together. They're like, no, no, no. Jesus, dead people don't come back alive. That's not what happens. So let's stop talking about that resurrection thing, and let's just go and, 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 and heal people and, and do the work of the ministry. So the disciples, they come in, and they're like, we don't get what's going on. And they see that the tomb is empty, and they go back home. That's what verse 10 says. They went back home. They had brunch or whatever else they had going on. In verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb, and she wept as she looked inside of it. Can you put yourself in Mary's shoes and catch the emotion of this moment? I mean, Jesus, Jesus was her leader. Jesus was her, her pastor. Jesus was her savior. He, she has given her, her life totally over to serving him, to loving him, to showing up to do whatever needed to be done. And now her, her leader, her pastor, is dead. And she shows up, again, wanting to, to continue to serve, to prepare his body for burial, and now the body's gone. Can you just put yourself in that emotion? Like, like where's my clothes? No, this can't happen. She's overcome. But, but I want you to notice, who's at the tomb? Who's at the tomb? Peter and John, they went home for brunch, right? They went back home. Thomas, I, I doubt Thomas was there. The rest of the disciples... We're going to find the rest of the disciples, they're going to be locked in a room because they're afraid that the same thing that happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. But guess who showed up to the tomb? Mary Magdalene. She continued to show up. Despite the fact that because of Jesus, it was incredibly risky for her, she continued to show up, looking to love and serve. As she's weeping, verse 12 says, there were two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said, woman, why are you weeping? She responded and said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was him. And Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be a gardener, she said, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Listen, I love Mary. I love Mary Magdalene. I mean, you look at this, this pattern of her showing up. In Luke chapter 8, where we hear that she's been healed from those seven demons, she shows up. She's like, hey, whatever you need to do, I'm going to give finance the work in the ministry of Jesus. You go and do it. John 19, at the cross, guess what Mary does? She shows up. How can I help? What can I do? John 20, she shows up at the tomb. Hey, I want to serve. I want to prepare his body for burial. And now she finds this gardener. And she's like, hey, dude, tell me where's the body. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. Like, what need, like, like where, I'll go pick, can you pick, I, I don't know how, I don't I always picture every woman like my wife, you know, she's like 110 pounds. Can you picture Mary being like, sure, where's the body? I will go pick it up. I will carry it wherever it needs to go. I'll take care of it. This is what Mary's doing. Gardener, where's the body? Let me know. I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. Faithfully, consistently showing up to serve and to love. And look, look at how she's rewarded for her faithfulness. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. 
And she responded and turned to him and said, Rabboni. See, instantly, instantly at the moment that Jesus calls her name, there's this recognition. There's this love and joy and peace that overcomes Mary. There's nothing more powerful for a Christian. There's nothing more powerful than for us to have ears that are tuned to the shepherd's voice. See, in John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Because of her faithfulness, Jesus reveals himself to her. And this is what he says in verse 17. He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to uh, my father. See, I think that's interesting. Like here it's Mary just overwhelmed with emotion. And, and I ask that question, why, why, does, why does Jesus say don't cling to me? Don't, 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 don't hug me. Don't, don't cling to me. If you're one of those people that likes to write notes in your Bible, I wrote in my Bible John 14, 16. Because in John 14, 16, that's when Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, the gift of the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, Mary, our relationship is going to change. I'm not going to continue to be here physically to comfort you. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is going to come. And remember the Holy Spirit is called, he's called the Comforter. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to be with you forever. And that Holy Spirit is going to be a greater comfort for you than just the comfort I could give you in the moment. So don't cling to me, but wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then there's this closure of this passage. He says, don't cling to me, for I have not ascended, but I want you to go to my brothers. These are the disciples. And I want you to say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And verse 18, immediately Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and the Lord has said these things to me. See, not only was Mary the very first person to see the resurrected Jesus, do you realize she was the first person that was sent with a message of the hope of the resurrection? That's what Jesus just said. Mary, you're going to go and tell the disciples I've risen from the grave. You've got to go and tell her. See, before, before Billy Graham ever preached a message, before the Apostle Paul wrote about the resurrection and the epistles in our scriptures, before, before Peter and the other disciples got to tell the story on the day of Pentecost, Mary, Magdalene, got to be the first one to say, hey guys, listen up. Jesus is alive. There, there's hope and life in him because he is alive. Don't you, don't you love this story? Don't, don't you love the story of, of Mary Magdalene? A life dramatically changed by Jesus. And she got to experience that miracle of being the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Like how remarkable is that? But here's, here's the thing. When we read this story, I don't want us to think, well, this is a fluke. Well, of course, Mary got to see Jesus because she's better than me. She's more spiritual. She's just special. She's lucky. It's but No, there was something that prepared her to experience this miracle. Do you know what it was? She faithfully showed up time and time and time again. And it's because of her faithfulness, because she continued to show up to love. She showed up to give, to, to serve. She showed up time and time again. That is when Jesus met her where she was. I'm going to meet you in your moment uh, of, of, of uh, incredible weeping. And he rewarded her 
with his presence. Listen, the same principle is true for you and I. That we might long for God to show up. We might long for God to do something in our life. We might long for a miracle. But listen, the blessing of God, whether it is spiritual or not, is often not random. It's often the result of our faithfulness and devotion. The blessing of God is found as we faithfully show up time and time again. So let me just ask you this question. When you look at your life and where things are right now, what is your deepest prayer? What is the thing that you long for God to provide? What is the blessing or the miracle or the answer or the healing? What is it that you long for God to give to you? Listen, I believe that God could give that to you in an an instant. I believe God can do it just like this. And I pray that God would would meet that need as quick as, as you can. But I don't want you to miss the truth of Mary Magdalene. That some of God's greatest miracles, some of God's greatest blessings, they're not instantaneous. The result of us continuing to show up time and time again. That as we faithfully show up and continue to serve and to give and to love and to sacrifice, that is when God gives us the breakthrough that we are desperately longing for. In fact, I know that there are some of you in here right now that just hearing that, I think this is how God is speaking to us today. Let me ask you, where is it that you need to continue to show up? Words that you need to continue to love and to serve and to give and to sacrifice. Where is it that you need to put to practice your faithfulness and your devotion? Maybe you're looking at some of the relationships around you. The people you love. You're like, this is hard. This is hard. It'd be a lot easier to cut bait. It'd be a lot easier to say, this relationship is such a mess. These people are screwed up, and it's all them and not me. And we look at that, man, it'd be much easier for me to say, I'm done with you. Aren't you glad that Jesus never did that to you? Maybe God's saying, he's calling you to be faithful in those relationships. Maybe for you, maybe you've got this fight against sin. You've got this sin that's been going on in your life, and, and maybe it's your mouth. Maybe it's an attitude or an addiction. You know, when we start fighting sin, it's kind of a daunting task. It's kind of like, man, I keep trying to to get after this, and I keep struggling, I keep dropping the ball. But, you know, when you fight sin, it's kind of like me when I started running. It's miserable at first. It's terrible. But guess what? When you keep showing up, when you keep fighting, when you keep after it, you watch as God strengthens you. Pretty soon you get further and further along and more and more victory over that sin. Where is God calling you into faithfulness? Maybe, maybe it's a habit in your life with your health. Maybe it's a habit with church. We will all probably agree that sporadic exercise isn't successful for your health. And on the same way, sporadic engagement with the body of Christ is not good for your spiritual health. No, I know, I know, we all have a million excuses about why we don't exercise. 
I'm too busy. Uh, my back hurts. My knee hurts. I've got other things going on. I like Oreos. We've got all these excuses as to why we don't exercise, and we've got all these excuses as to why we don't make church a priority. Do you know God sees right through those things? Again, if we want the blessing of God, the question is, are we willing to be faithful to him? In fact, I'd go even a little bit further and say some of us, this is a challenge to say, are you going to be faithful in your relationship with God? I know there are some of us that are wrestling with life right now. We're wrestling with, with purpose, with direction. We're wrestling with all these things. And maybe God's just calling you to faithfulness to him. Because you can't halfway follow Jesus. You can't say, well, Jesus, I, I want you on this side, but on this side I'm going to do my own thing. There's no halfway following after God. So maybe, maybe the challenge to you is maybe God's calling to you to say, will you be faithful to me? Will you jump all in with both feet? Because I tell you what, when we show up time and time again, we can watch as God transforms things around us. In fact, I want to close with perhaps the reminder of the greatest potential for us to, to bring difference in our family, in our neighborhood, in our personal lives, in our church, in our city, in our world. You know, there's a potential for us to make a huge difference in all those things. And I'll tell you what. The, the, the potential for us to make a difference in the world has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with, with politics, has nothing to do with social justice. The greatest potential that we have to make a difference is when we would love outrageously. This is one of the values that we talk about, what we want to be known for here at Restoration Church, that we would adopt the mind of Christ Jesus, that we would consider others more significant than ourselves that we'd be willing to sacrifice of ourselves to give to others. You know, when we faithfully show up to love outrageously, when we faithfully show up time and time and time again to put other people's needs above our own, that is where we have the greatest potential to change the world around us. That is the fuel that God uses to transform our friendships, to transform our relationships, our marriages, our families. That is a fuel that God uses to transform our workplaces and our schools, our cities, our world. It's not easy. It's not easy to say, I'm not going to focus only about myself. I'm going to put other people's needs above my own. But I tell you what, it is so stinking worth it. It is so worth it that when we are faithful to keep showing love sacrificially, what we're doing is we're tilling the soil. We're tilling the soil to prepare for God to do the miracle. Kind of like Norman Geisler. Norman Geisler as a child was invited to VBS one, one week showed up to VBS and realized, hey, there's a bus at this church that will come and pick me up to church. This is a little nine-year-old boy. And he's like, I go to church and I get donuts and candy and hot chocolate. This is an amazing place. Who wouldn't want that? So the bus driver comes and picks up Norman Geisler and takes him to church one Sunday and starts realizing, man, this is a rambunctious little kid. 
This kid won't sit still for more than two seconds. This kid is bouncing off the walls. This kid is, is and then you hop him up with candy, and he's just, he's a problem child. You, how many of you can picture this kid in your head, in your mind right now? <laughs> You're like, this is me. No, this is, you know. This kid kept showing up to church because the bus driver kept picking him up. He would never give his life to Jesus. Bus driver says, man, I kept getting this kid in trouble time and time again. But the bus driver chose, you know what? I'm going to love outrageously. I'm going to faithfully show up. I'm going to faithfully pick this kid up. I'm going to faithfully show my love to him. Bus driver did this, did this for eight years. And finally, when Norman Geiser was a senior in high school, he finally gave his life to Jesus after over 400 times of that bus driver picking him up. Imagine if that bus driver said, this is too hard, I quit. What if he stopped at number 395? Norman Geisler became a theologian who was a co-founder of Southern Evangelical Seminary who has trained literally thousands and thousands of men and women to go into full-time ministry, to impact the world. Why? Because there was a bus driver who kept showing up. That is a potential that we have to make a difference when we choose to show up faithfully time and time again. Let's pray.